come take a listen and a pause to all of the flow. To the places of wonder and thoughts with insights to grow. So take a sit or a walk, perhaps with a pot of tea, to explore flow beyond what the eyes may see. There is this wonderful um, song called You've Got a Friend by Carol King. It's about the seasons and there's a line that says winter, spring, summer, or fall. All you have to do is call and I'll be there. Yes, I will. Oh, yes, I will. You've got a friend. <laughs> and I haven't listened to this song. <laughs> I haven't listened to the song in so long. And it's a very comforting song. I, I found it to be. And for some reason, all the seasons just happen to fit so nicely of this type of constant cyclic nature of the you've got a friend through all the seasons. It's like it's our constant companion, right? So why not make friends with it? I certainly wouldn't want <laughs> to, to be in companionship with an enemy for like three months out of the year. That would kind of be agonizing in a way so that kind of leads us or I'm going to make this tangent lead us into our theme winter and I suppose we're gonna actually go through like what you were talking about there of like how can we make friends with winter and and when I say making friends with it's not so much of like how can we just be pleasant all the time and like never see what winter has to show us it's like how can we understand winter for what it is and I think that's that's kind of like a quality that I hope would be in a friend like how can I understand my friend better how can I understand winter better so I think this conversation will delve into those territories oh don't you Sarah <laughs> I feel like I can only <laughs> say yes. <laughs> yeah, I didn't really give you an out there. No, you know, I don't like those leading questions. I will add on to what you were saying about talking about winter. And that will be the conversation today. Though the seasons, winter, spring, summer, and fall, as Kara King sang, for each season, we will be doing a podcast conversation on that season in order to best reflect and discuss about the seasons that the season should be happening. The talking about the season while we're in it, I think we both came to that conclusion because reflecting on a season is much more an embodied experience and what does our intuition tell us about this season and so um, that's why we decided to talk about winter when we're actually in winter and I must say right now I am in like the most wintry cozy setup that I could have I'm actually drinking a tea called cold season there is a stove fire that I lit 
and I'm like five feet away from and it's dark it's cold outside it's winter so hopefully those conditions will create some sort of insight into what is winter how can we be friends with it how can we understand it in a different way and the question that you just brought up I suppose is a rhetorical question that I'll take it in actuality is what is winter what literally what is the word winter because I think oftentimes we give things names and what does this mean where does it come from the origin of the word winter from what we could find derives the name from a proto-germanic word I will first spell it because I'm not confident I can pronounce it. Maybe Sophie can help. It is spelled W-E-N-T-R-U-Z, which I'd probably say is Wintras. <laughs> and this Proto-Germanic word is translated to the word winter. And this also has derivations from Proto-Indo-European origins that translate wed, W-E-D, to mean wet. The name from the old Germanic word also means time of water, which I'm relating to the, the wed meaning wet. And the reason that this translation is time of water is that it refers to the rain and the snow of winter that commonly occurred in middle and high latitudes. That is what I can offer you on the origin of the word winter. It feels like it's kind of getting down to its most basic experience, like wet. And I can certainly like attest to that wet factor being on the Northern California coast during this time, it is wet. And that's about all I can say. It is wet, <laughs> very wet. In fact, I think for the next, the next 12 out of 14 days, it's going to be very wet. Perhaps not white, but wet for sure. Have you ever thought about what winter means to you? And what about thinking of winter in those symbolic, those abstract, and also concrete ways that is coming up next? What is the symbolism of winter? How do we connect to winter across religion, cultural observances, across an embodied like sensory experience? What is it like to be in winter. So Sarah, take it away. <laughs> Boy, Sophie and I do love symbolism, don't we? <laughs> we will be continuing our symbolism talk with winter. I will touch upon how I interpret symbolism of winter, not necessarily through a direct cultural or religious context, one of the first things I think of with winter is a form of hibernation. And we'll talk about this more so later with animal forms and hibernation within ourselves. 
is that winter, depending on where you are, of course, will change in terms of the amount of light you have. And once that daylight goes away, then that's often a sign of transition to rest for the day. And because within winter, the sun will set relatively sooner than other seasons, that for me, I feel like there's this extended hibernation and that I feel like the day is over midway through because the sun is already setting. And I relate to that a lot with winter because then I feel in a way forced to remain indoors because what's to do outside when you can't see anything? <laughs> and, and I relate that within hibernation, there's no daylight to just explore around you. It's like, well, what to do with oneself? It's also a point at which sometimes I try to find the warmth. Because I think a lot of times people try to renew themselves or replenish what is scarce. And in winter, the, the daylight, the, the warmth may be scarce for a lot of people or creatures. And I think thus we try to seek out comfort and that warmth, whether that be physical warmth, such as from a fire, or perhaps warmth in companionship or, you know, joy or comfort of activities. And that is what I also relate with symbol is kind of that yin-yang of darkness, hibernation, and then the warmth type of comfort. Yeah, you're really pointing to this complementary nature, the moment that the day's sunlight dims, that darkness grows. That's like the moment when we feel like this impoverishment of social connection, of hunger, of sometimes dopamine. I mean, seasonal affective disorder is definitely a thing. So go get your sun lamps, people. But how does humanity deal with this, what seems to be a harshness, the time where darkness grows? And so just to center ourselves on what darkness actually means in our lives right it's not something that we can push away as much as we'd like it literally comes into our experience as as a wintering and symbolically darkness represents this kind of first reality obviously we don't have the memory of it that ushers us into life right like if we think about being kind of in a womb there's a darkness there there is no light you can't see and also it absorbs and it merges the many into one so it's this idea that everything kind of gets pulled into it and it's this vast space that does not have a name that does not have a destination it just it just absorbs and just encompasses and like what can one find in that murkiness and darkness can also kind of go towards this abysmal place right it it often means like the impoverishment of spirit the rule of the ego I mean when we talk about the dark age well, what is a dark age it's, it's a lacking this order of the natural law or the way of life of spirituality um, so it's an age of greed hate and delusion and so, okay, so how does this all relate to winter, right? We're talking about darkness and winter, 
But I feel that like the symbolism of darkness actually explains a lot why we have the rituals we have, especially in culture, especially in religion. If we look at Christianity, for example, for Christmas, the birth of the sun through the winter solstice is representative of the birth of Jesus. So it's putting winter into this dark space that gives rise to something. It's also time for like spiritual reflection on the foundations of the Christian faith. And it's when Christians celebrate God's love for the world through the birth of Jesus. And so what does this have to do with darkness? Well, darkness is like the holder or the cradle for this birth to arise, which is the expression of God's love. And then, you know, if we move towards Hanukkah, Hanukkah was, you know, historically at a time where that religion was being persecuted. And it symbolizes then this creation of light in the darkest of times. Because 2,000 years ago, their temple was destroyed. And lighting one candle that lasted eight days is almost like the symbol of hope that there could be hope, that there could be kind of this resurrection of faith, of values. And if we meander to Kwanzaa, so there are seven principles of Kwanzaa, you know, something unity, purpose, self-determination, collective work, cooperative economics, creativity, and faith. And there's a specific candle lighting process that goes on that reinforces these principles. So maybe you know all this before, and this is just another history lesson, but these these events, these rituals, the Kwanzaa, the Hanukkah, the Christmas, they use darkness as kind of like the, the compost for the reignition of love, of of all these values of reaffirming one's identity and one's place, one's faith. I think it really speaks to humanity in that way, that when we're encountered with darkness, this is how we prepare for darkness, this is how we prepare for winter, is to reaffirm our own values, is to look within, is to gather together, create social warmth, create warmth of heat, warmth of this physical light that we can see that sparks that hope within us so yeah I think that's really our preparation getting through the winter your commentary reminds me of my experience in winter from last year which was very much in the dark it was in Denmark, which is where I met Sophie. And I'm mentioning this because I had never been in a place where the sun had set early afternoon. And it was right in the middle of winter. It was very, very cold. I was in a new physical space and it was all foreign to me. And then on top of that, there was little sunlight and I didn't know what to do with myself. I felt most of the time I had my head down 
because it was very cold and I was trying to protect myself from the wind. And I just, I felt like the darkness within winter definitely affected part of my experience because I wanted to find warmth. And I will say it was a struggle for me, especially because I wasn't really familiar with the culture, the lifestyle, or I didn't really know a lot of people. Though I will say that the Danes are known for a type of warmth. And I'm wondering if you can share about this warmth that the Danes often partake during the, the winters. I would love to, Sarah. Um, you know, it's, it's one of those words, huga, that you might have heard before, uh, maybe you've heard it then said hig, but it's it's truly pronounced huga. Um, I don't know much Danish, but I know that. And okay, let me just give you a little excerpt of what Mike Viking says. So huga is about an atmosphere, not about things. It is about being with the people we love, a feeling we are safe, that we are shielded from the world to be able to let our guard down. And I love this quote specifically because it attempts to explain what Huga is without using like anything material. Um, I think oftentimes, if you've heard of Huga, it's more in the context of like, oh, buy a throw blanket because then you'll be all Huga and that's trendy. You know, and I think Huga is synonymous with cozy. So it's like, oh, go buy a throw blanket and go buy some candles. And while you're at it, buy an essential oil diffuser. And of course, like all these things kind of help facilitate the conditions for this experience to arise, right? It's not actually like what Huga is. Huga is this feeling of safety. It's actually being with the people we love. That's what Huga is. And it's especially strong when the winter comes because we have to be shielded from the cold, you know? It's like we're all being held in this safety together. And so in this kind of nesting space, we can let our guard down. And it's not something that like only the Danes experience, right? If you live in cold countries, this concept does exist just I'm not sure there's quite the right word for it so there are a couple of things that you can do if you know, you're you're feeling like you need a little bit more huga. one of the things is to like add softness into your life and it's quite a vague thing right like what does that even mean you know maybe maybe it is adding a throw pillow or a throw blanket but it could be just like tending to your body through making a cup of tea that could be softness you know the other thing is like creating small nesting spaces when's the last time you ever had a fort I'm talking to the adults here especially when is the last time you made a fort I'm going to challenge everyone who's you know listening to this to to do that sometime and see how that kind of reignites this sense of childlike wonder. That's Huga. 
there's also this idea of adding the particular type of lighting to a room. It's the kind of soft, again, we're getting back to softness, a soft glow that often comes from candles. So yes, if you wish, you can buy some candles. But, you know, you can also think of dimming your lights if you have the option or lighting a fire. The other thing that might help with creating a sense of huga in your life is to create your own rituals when it comes to winter. Maybe it's about lighting a candle at the same time of day or turning off technology. So you could maybe shut off your Wi-Fi at 10 p.m. I don't know. Try it. And prioritize mealtime, coming together of that community making. Then maybe try journaling if, if you don't already. That can often facilitate that sense of self-reflection of the going inward that winter asks of us. And while you're eating, think of what winter foods you can add to your diet, like maybe a winter squash or soup, pulling out like this favorite family recipe that you haven't made in a while. But really, you know, more than anything, it's about cultivating a peace of mind. And so just being able to develop a one-pointedness of mind of just reading when you're reading. Just be in that moment. When you're with other people, acknowledge and admire the fact that you are in their presence right now. That's not always a given. Just that acknowledgement, that's huga. You know, it can be so simple. And that's what I love about huga. I think living in Denmark for a year, it gave me a sense of just the, the simplicity of it all. Like it, it's not some grand thing. It's really about like sipping a cup of tea, making a fire, just literally being in the presence of people and how much warmth and love and peace that generates, right? Which is such an antidote to winter. Shall we delve into kind of other life forms and how they approach winter, Sarah? I feel like we can learn so much about this. So let's, let's get into it. At the beginning, I talked about how later on we'll get into this hibernation type of state within the non-humans. And that is what we will be doing now. And we'll start off with the bees. Have you ever wondered what winter is like for other animals? Well, we'll be getting into some fast, fun facts all about the animals. Stay tuned. At the beginning of our conversation, I mentioned that we would later be talking about hibernation with the non-humans. And that is what we will be getting into now. And we will start off with the bees. Relative to winter, bees form a cluster 
in order to create a beehive, this type of furnace to help regulate the temperatures. This typically happens between 92 and 94 degrees Fahrenheit. By creating this type of beehive furnace, they are able to regulate each other's temperatures, which is formed around the stores of their honey to make sure that there is food available. In a sense, they're basically creating this insulation to protect themselves and to protect their honey. In addition, relative to, I guess you could say, the mating behavior of bees, is that this cluster of bees, which I mentioned as they form the, the furnace, that cluster is entirely made up of females and that essentially they're quote-unquote kick the males out these type of drones during (laughs) during the fall during these winter months because the purpose of the males in the situation is to mate with the queen and in the winter the queen is dormant and in that sense the males aren't needed and that is to show how the behavior of animals is so dynamic based on the weather, based on the seasons, and how they will adapt in order to survive and reproduce. I get stuck on the idea of, yeah, as as humans have the time to reflect and go inward, the bees also, you know, have this unique social circumstance, you could say, and that they go inwards but they're going inwards is creating this furnace and also kicking out the males, which is a unique kind of situation, which I found quite funny, actually. <laughs> but, but beyond just the bees, there are many different animals that take on different tasks and adapt in, in multitudes of different ways to this thing we call winter, which honestly really has to do with what is the environment like? right? In relation to temperature and light. Some some fun facts for y'all is I found out that red squirrels can actually uh, prepare for the winter by making mushroom jerky. Now, I've never tried that, but it kind of sounds good. Um, I might have to knock on, knock on the hibernating door of one of those squirrels and ask for a piece because I would really like to try that. Hopping along to another animal, the wood frog, no pun intended, can actually survive being frozen and thawed a few times a season, actually. And I don't know if that's like because they're an alien or what, but that seems like not, I don't know, that just seems like crazy to me. Apparently they have some sort of like natural substance in their blood that lets them just freeze like it's no big deal. What the heck, wood frog? You know, and then if we go to reptiles, such as snakes and lizards, they are cold-blooded creatures, so their body is controlled by the environment. So that means they actually have to find uh, an unused burrow and settle in there and wait out the cold. That's called brumation. But it's different than, like, hibernation because they actually have to find an environment that is warm enough for them to stay. But when other animals, especially mammals, hibernate, turns out that they aren't actually sleeping. 
because that's kind of what I had in mind. They're they're just kind of inactive, and they're uh, oftentimes their body temperatures will will drop very heavily, and they will not eat for a while. You know, animals can hibernate in lots of different ways. So, like for example, this was a fun one that I found. Snails, for example, will attach themselves to a surface and then cover themselves with their slime, almost like this gooey cocoon, uh, to protect themselves from the the extremes of winter. And so, I don't know. I just think that through all these fun little facts about different animals, we can start to see how creative and how much winter, the season of winter affects all life forms. What does that tell us about winter, right? If we're getting back to the whole, let's understand winter, let's try to make friends with winter. What does this all tell us about winter? some things about some animals in winter and maybe we're a bit entertained and now we're going to settle in a bit more and get into some storytelling you know Sarah it's always fun to like spew some like random fun facts at people but I'm gonna try to like bring it back and related to my experience here I am right now at a hermitage basically a place for hermiting really just being a hermit part of a monastery a Buddhist monastery in the coastal redwoods of California and I am staying here as a volunteer for the winter retreat for the monastics And so I have my own cabin, and I make my own fire, and I make food, nourishing, wintry foods. And how does this all relate to the animal fun facts, you could say? Well, you know, something that I've realized while being here, it's quite a bare bones experience of realizing that I, as a human, as an animal, have basic needs that need to be met, right? And there's this inherent vulnerability about being alive, about being an animal that's subject to all of these conditions, right? And it makes me feel so much more, like, connected to other animals, other beings, right? Like the red chipmunk who who stores the mushroom jerky. I, I kind of feel that though, you know? I sometimes feel like, wow, I really need to make this fire to give myself warmth. It reminds me of something that I read in a book uh, recently. It's called Winter, the Power of Embracing Winter. In the book, it says winter is the time when death comes closest, when the cold feels as though it might yet snatch us away, despite our modern comfort. And in this experience, there is no like modern comfort, except for Wi-Fi, which thankfully is enabling us to have this, you know, episode recording right now. But apart from the fancy modern Wi-Fi, we have outhouses. I have to use a plunger for laundry. We use outhouses for toilets and, you know, you have to create your own fire for heat. And so it kind of gets down to this like elemental 
living, this simplicity of these are my needs and they must be met or I will die. And in that way, you know, the animals face the same thing. Like the snail needs to create its little slime cocoon or it's not going to survive the winter, you know? And so like in that way, I'm not any different from the snail. And while that might seem kind of terrifying and really vulnerable and, oh gosh, you know, we're just so vulnerable against these conditions, it actually kind of makes me feel a little bit more connected to the world that I live in that I really haven't been able to connect to otherwise because oftentimes I feel that like living in the modern world, we have these creature comforts that kind of remove us away from that bare fact. Yeah, I mean, in the book, it says that in the 21st century, we're awash in light, not just from the chandeliers and lamps that deliberately light up our homes in the evening, but also from electronic devices that flicker and pulse and glow to tell us that they're doing something. So as the modern world kind of distracts, distracts, distracts from what's actually happening in our outside conditions, which is winter. I feel that it, the experience that I'm having is like forcing me to come to terms with winter, both in the outside and the inside within myself. You know, the, the inside being having to retreat within myself, you know, uh, not being able to talk as much, having my own cabin where I, there's no cell service, no Wi-Fi there. And I have to be alone with myself. And I have to be able to embrace the darkness and embrace the rain, the wet, the damp, right? And so, yeah, it's just this experience really feels like coming into the full reality of winter, both in the internal and external landscape. And it'll be interesting to see kind of like what emerges from that, right? In, in this, this kind of subliminal space. And so, Sarah, I'm, I'm curious about any moments in your life where you felt almost like this wintering. I grew up in Texas, and in Texas, there are not seasons in the true sense of seasons. I didn't experience much of the classic winter in Texas, and most of what I could remember in, in winter is more so being in the Northeast and, and overseas. And there are pockets of winter in Texas here and there, though nothing so much that would send out to me as, yes, this is winter. In the Northeast this past year, I actually had the opportunity to do some wintering, as you referred to, because there was snow that came along and the snow graciously stuck to the ground. And a lot of the snow stuck to the ground. And it became a winter landscape of just white and purity, total transformation of the environment. It was amazing. I was able to play in the snow, make a snow figure with my mother, and just watch some kids go down a hill in their puffy suits on a little makeshift sleigh, I guess you could say. It was kind of like, I was living in my own snow globe in a way because my entire experience was so condensed in the physical space. It's not like I really drove anywhere then because 
while I was trying to be cautious with driving because of the snow, I basically was just in my neighborhood, just in my front yard. And it's kind of cool to imagine the sky is like the glass of a snow globe in a way. And we're just within that and that we can just, you know, shake the globe a bit and then snow will come down. And I really felt like it was a real winter and that I was able to do the wintering with myself and my parents and kind of have that hibernation that we normally had because, well, of quarantine, COVID. I think adding on the winter experience made it more so an invitation to experience winter in that little snow globe space and then retreat back inside to find the warmth. I'm thinking about when you said that you had lived in Texas as a, as a kid and how you really experienced the, the depths of winter in the Northeast kind of more as a young adult. I'm, I'm just struck by the experience of experiencing the seasons as a kid and w- what it's like really not to have that stereotypical uh, snow snow-capped landscape as a child, right? I grew up in predominantly in St. Louis, kind of moved between places, but spent a lot of time there and it snows there. And as a kid, we would have certain rituals about predicting snow days. There was this whole thing about snow days that I can remember. And it's just such a, a striking memory, even to this day. Like I can still feel the emotions bubbling up of the excitement and the anticipation and just the the break, the unexpected break of the routine that that turns everything into magic. Like my nostalgia for snow and for winter really resides in those moments I had as a kid, like the first snow, the first sled, the first snow day. And oftentimes what we would do to kind of usher in a snow day would be to turn our uh, pajamas inside out as like a good luck. And then we would also put an ice cube in the toilet and flush it down the drain. And there was just this sense of like such certainty about these actions that they would actually like create this snow day and oftentimes like you know that a snow day would come after you did those things and so there was just this like even with the rituals that we did there was this connection with magic not just in like looking outside and seeing the snow and seeing how much the landscape had changed but also knowing that like if I flush a ice cube down the toilet it's going to make a snow day. Isn't that magic, right? So there is that sense. When a snow day happens, it's kind of like this immediate break from routines and normalcy and, and how one relates to time. I lived by a park and that park was near a cafe. So often what I would do is ask some of my friends to go sledding. And so we would go sledding and then we might go make snowmen and then after that, you know, after the the kind of intensity of what one was doing, 
of that flow right of that flow experience of just being in the moment being in the snow like experiencing life in a different way right it's just this stark moment of like being just where one is but at a certain point you kind of feel the extreme of winter you kind of go into this state of disequilibrium you could say so then what I would do with my friends is we would go to Caldi's which was the cafe nearby and oftentimes I would get a peppermint hot chocolate peppermint just reminding me of the season almost like a, a trigger and the hot chocolate to kind of soothe and re-establish you know this homeostasis in my body so it served a social function it served a physical function and I say all this because when I think of winter my mind goes towards when I was a kid and having those lapses in the the routine um, and experiencing a bit of magic that was such like an antidote to both winter and also both to like just the the pressures and the worldliness of school and family life. And so when I think about what you said, Sarah, I, I feel that we both relate to snow in a completely different way. And yet I still know that you find the magic in snow with, you know, seeing the snow as being inside a snow globe. But I feel that the associations bring us to completely different places. And there's a magic in that too. And that snow can bring that, bring that element. What is silence like for you in, in the moments of like really deep cold? I suppose my first thought is that I'm likely not in true silence, as that would require specialized equipment to have that experience. Though, <laughs> I think we often talk about, we in the, perhaps generally, we talk about silence in the sense of not talking, or that there are less immediate obvious sounds around us, particularly that of human sounds, and then invites us to notice the other sounds the more natural sounds and with that I feel like in those moments of extreme cold being outside it's often with less human activity at least in my experience because a lot of people will not choose to venture out to the cold they'll stay in the warmth and that when I venture out it also allows me to feel a bit closer to that silence in the sense that I can notice more of the quieter sounds around me. Or maybe I just hear the wind. I also feel like I'm more aware of my breath. Because if it's that cold, I can probably see my breath. And I feel like seeing my breath makes the experience almost entertaining to breathe. Because there's something about just seeing what's coming out. It's like kind of like a magnifying glass where you can just see the experience in ways that you're not normally seeing it. And then I'm also aware of, I guess, how I react to the cold. I'm trying to reframe my experience in cold because as Sophie has talked about with me is that there is such a thing as a bare experience. And I feel like oftentimes in this coldness or these undesired states, we often will voice our discomforts and us wanting to be different than how it is. And I used to do that a lot. And then I would 
intentionally express my desire to not talk about how cold I am or I would voice me wanting another person to not voice how cold they are because because I think that can prolong the discomfort and that discomfort often resides in winter in those cold moments. This is all to say, going back to Sophie's question, when I'm outside by myself or with other people, especially during winter, I find value in noticing what is not normally noticed, such as the breath, seeing the breath, which is quite entertaining, as I mentioned, and noticing how I feel cold-wise or not, and trying to reframe the experience to be one more of acceptance rather than that itching to get out of it. And to also notice the closer to silence experience, because there's a lot that can be learned within those moments of pause, of slowing down, which often is characteristic of the winter. What a beautiful reflection. I feel like gratitude in my heart for the ways in which you put words to experience. It's this warmth that I feel is something that we can generate within ourselves and spread to others, even if it's cold outside. There's also something else that you said, just seeing the breath when it's really cold and being entertained by it and just noticing things that you particularly wouldn't notice. It goes full circle back to where we started in this conversation, which was the breath. So let's end the conversation back on the breath. Taking a deep breath in. Following it. Breathing out. Notice that silence. Notice how it can mirror the seasons. How the out breath, the release, is like a winter in its own way. And so if you've taken nothing else away from this, hopefully it will be this, that you can connect to winter anytime just through the flow of the breath. And so it flows, Sarah. And so it flows.